Trigger warning, this podcast episode features discussions of emotional and narcissistic abuse. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Emotional Abuse is Real. I'm your host, Serene Leeds, and I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait to share today's episode with you. My guest is Nina Batista, a licensed clinical social worker and emotional abuse survivor who shares her insights on new developments in the studies of narcissistic abuse. But as always, before we get into today's episode, I have a few requests. First of all, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Second, please follow me on Instagram at Serene Leads Rights. That's S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S-W-R-I-T-E-S. I've provided the link for you in the show notes. Another way to connect with me and this podcast is through my email list, which you can subscribe to by downloading my free resource, 10 Things I Learned from Getting Paid to Watch TV. This download is a collection of some of my best writing tips and tricks, all of which I learned from covering television. My email list is a great way to stay up to date on my latest published articles, new podcast episodes, and to connect with me if you're a business or brand owner. Did you know that in addition to my journalism work, I'm a professional writer specializing in website and email copy? Well, now you do. And if you're in the market for someone who can make your business copy sparkle, I'd love to talk to you further. The sign-up link for my free download, 10 Things I Learned from Getting Paid to Watch TV, is available in both the show notes and on my website, sereneleadsrights.com. That's S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S-W-R-I-T-E-S. Speaking of my website, are you mulling over possibly hiring me to do some fabulous copy work? Hey, that's awesome, but don't just rely on my own self-promotion. You can find several glowing client testimonials over on sereneleadsrights.com as well. As for the podcast, this is your friendly reminder that if you're a listener and you'd like to share your story on Emotional Abuse is Real, please don't hesitate to reach out via Instagram DM or via email at hello at sereneleadsrights.com. Anonymous guests are always welcome. Other ways you can support Emotional Abuse is Real include heading over to Apple Podcasts and both leaving a five-star rating and writing a review, and by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee page, which I've linked in the show notes. As I've said before, this is a one-woman operation, and your donations help fund the podcast's production costs. If you can, please share this podcast with anyone who might benefit from it. I truly do believe that we are building a community of survivors with emotional abuse is real, and the more awareness we raise, the easier it will be for victims to come forward. On today's episode, I chat with emotional abuse survivor and licensed clinical social worker Nina Batista. Nina and I had a fantastic conversation about our respective emotional abuse experiences, as well as the new developments she's been learning in narcissistic abuse treatment training sessions. 
The unfortunate truth is not every therapist is trained in emotional and narcissistic abuse, which is why I'm so grateful to Nina for helping to raise awareness about this critical topic. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nina Batista. My name is Nina Batista. I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I am a survivor of narcissistic abuse as well. Um, So my specialty is helping other survivors heal from that insidious emotional abuse. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. So we have a lot to talk about, and since you are a survivor as well, I would love it if you could share your story to kick things off. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was actually in grad school um, and I met this guy on one of a date on a dating app. (laughs) Um, And the typical, you know, I thought he was love of my life. (laughs) Thought he was love of my life. Um, He had every trait possible that I could want, you know, like week three, he dedicated that song made for you. It's a country song, essentially, like God made me specifically for him. Um, love bombing galore, right? Yeah. I really thought that I met my soulmate. And in the beginning, I couldn't have been more excited. Um, and he slowly started to throw digs at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very subtle and, and I couldn't really grasp what was going on. And, um, for something that's really interesting is in, and for school, for therapy, we don't really learn a lot about narcissism. Um, it's something that we have to ask about, right? It's something that wow. we have to get additional training. So we learn like the very basics. Yes. Like of the di- diagnosis, but we don't know how it shows up in relationships. So, that for me was really confusing. And we learned like the basics of emotional abuse. But what he was saying to me wasn't like name calling. It was very much like, oh, you're going to wear that. Uh, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, your nails. You, you didn't do your lashes today. Why, uh, you, you know, what? Um, or it would be, you know, randomly he would use withhold affection for me. He didn't want to mm-hmm. kiss me because I wasn't wearing an outfit that he liked. Uh-huh. And Uh I started to feel really confused. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Right? What's going on? Um, Cheated on me, blamed Mm. me for it. Of course. I was too controlling. Oh, were you? I was too (laughs) controlling because I wanted um, one date night a week with my boyfriend. Oh, Apparently that was too much, right? That's way how too dare much. You, how dare you? How dare you ask for such a thing? Oh, good Lord. Yeah. He went to a couple's counselor who mm-hmm. agreed with him. Oh, dear. Controlling to reinforce his narrative. Yeah. Um, so I thought I was so going sorry. insane. It's okay. Yeah. I thought I was going insane. I started getting yeah. really depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, I stopped hanging out with my friends. Mm-hmm. My friends stopped hanging out with me. My best, best friend who I've known for 15 years came to visit and she said she didn't even recognize me. She thought our friendship was over. Yeah. Because I was a total shell of myself. I didn't know who I liked, what I liked, what I wanted to be. I started to gain weight. I gained about mm-hmm. 70 pounds within a mm-hmm. year. And yeah. Then my boyfriend used that as an excuse to not have sex with me, saying, I don't take care of myself. Um, So this was all going on. He, you know, my parents didn't even see it. They thought he was the nicest guy ever. Mm -hmm, I wanted mm -hmm. to break up with him. He triangulated my parents against me and they were like, Nina, what are you doing? He's such a nice guy. 
So I was like, okay, yeah, he's such a nice guy. Maybe I'm making too, you know, but then I started Googling abuse and I started Googling verbal abuse and it started to click and I'm like, hold on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I read the verbally abusive man, but I think Dr. Patricia Evans and mm-hmm. it was like, boom, 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 my relationship. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And I learned about covert narcissism. Ah. And when it hit me. Yes. Because my ex wasn't that overt in your face, like really loud. He was that really nice guy mm-hmm. that I would get gaslit by all the friends being like, you're so lucky that you're with him because he'd be so nice in front of people. Yes. And then in the car, that's when he would avoid me. That's when he would withhold affection. He wouldn't even hold my hand. Mm-hmm. And I think something that's so important is that takes a total toll on your self-esteem when your own partner won't touch you romantically, doesn't want to yeah. be with you, doesn't want to have sex with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, what is wrong with me that my boyfriend of four years doesn't want to be sexually intimate? Absolutely. We got to a place where financially he was making all this money, don't know where it was going mm-hmm. um, because we had to move back in with my parents because mm-hmm. we live in Florida and mm-hmm. the market of the housing just skyrocketed. We couldn't afford to live alone. Yeah, We weren't paying rent. But he also now couldn't take me on dates. Mm-hmm. Why not? We live in my parents' house rent-free. Where's all your money going to, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so short story, a month before I, t- I wanted to break up with him, he told me I was the love of his life. He was going to change. He was going to go to therapy. He had a ring. He was going to propose. Uh-huh. A month later was I lost my brother nine, 10 years ago, but it was um, his, my deceased brother's anniversary, the anniversary of his, you know, okay. his death. Sure. And my partner, my narcissist partner at the time mm-hmm. was going on a business trip. We were re- we were sexually intimate that day, gets on mm-hmm. a plane. He discards me over text, deletes me on everything. I never oh, saw no. him again. Oh, my God. Wow. Never saw him again. We have a dog together. <laughs> All of his belongings he left at my house. I mean, it was complete sudden abandonment. Wow. And I was thrown through a, a whirlwind of emotions of what sure. the hell is going on? What is wrong with me? Where did this man just go? He just told me he wanted to be the father of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such a mind, a mind-boggling situation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, thankful that this happened because I did find out that he actually had a kid. Oh, and, wow. oh, yeah, a whole kid I had no idea about that he hid for four years and this whole other double life. But mm-hmm. this is what kind of this is what really drove me into this field because it happened yeah. to me. And I felt so shameful because I'm like, I'm in grad school to become a therapist. How do I not know this? Right. How, right. how am I a victim to this? Like, this is my field. I'm um, so glad you're here to, to share this because, like you said at the outset, this area isn't taught. So I'm so grateful that you're here to share this story. Um, Okay. So that's awful. You were, so this happened while you were in grad school. Yeah. So for the first years and then the last two years that we were together for four years. So yeah, we were in grad school. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So, and that's, and that's fun fact. Yes. is when they prey on you. Mm-hmm. They prey on individuals when they're in vulnerable situations, right? Yeah. In grad school, when you're in a really high stress situation, you're a perfect target for love bombing. 
mm-hmm. because you're really mm-hmm. stressed. You're going through so much. So yeah, somebody yeah. telling me that I'm God's gift to earth felt amazing. Sure. Right? How could it not? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So so that's it. You like you 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 still have no idea what became of him or Apparently wow. that he moved to Philadelphia. Um, he was cheating on me. So he I was helping him with this business that there was he was obsessed with NFTs at the time, right? He also had a gift. Oh, God, another red flag. And a huge, <laughs> huge. He was obsessed with NFTs at the time and yeah. he thought this was the big thing. And he yeah. was creating like pictures of NFTs. And little did I know, I was helping him create this artwork for a girl that he was cheating on me with. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Yeah. Send it to yeah. her. He ended up moving in with her. He moved states. He moved all the way to Philly, lives with her. But apparently he has another girlfriend here in Florida and uh-huh. he goes back and forth between the two of them and they have no idea. You're, and- you're better. I mean, you're, you are so, I mean, I know you know you are so better off. Yeah. I watched a bullet. And then when it you really happened, did. I felt like my world was crashing down. But now that I'm out of the, that I'm out of the trauma bonds and I'm in the yeah. clear and I'm, you know, 18 months into healing, I okay. can say that I dodged a bullet. Yeah, you did. Oh yeah, you totally did. Over me, and that this is exactly what needed to happen. Exactly. Okay, so so you are a therapist, and so now I want to get into the main reason why you reached out to me, which is because you know that this is not taught in your. I don't want to call it generic, but run of the mill uh, classes to become a therapist. You said that you took a training about narcissistic abuse and that you learned some new things and some new evidence. So I would love to hear what you found out. Absolutely. So, so something that's been going on, and ironically, when I started to learn about this, there was no science, scientific based evidence on this, mm-hmm. right? There was no theoretical framework discussing this. It was merely what we call survivor turned experts on social media, yeah. which there is loads go on TikTok, go on Instagram. There's a lot of survivors turned experts, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> which is great, which is super helpful. But I was like, where, but, but it's trauma, right? It's right. trauma. And with trauma, Trauma, we need someone who specializes in yes. trauma. And so when I found about this new, it's called the Institute of Narcissistic Abuse slash, wow. yeah, slash psychopathic okay. abuse. And the umbrella okay. term now is called pathological love. Mm, um, okay. So it's when you're in a relationship with someone in the dark triad. So narcissists, mm-hmm. um, psychopathic, antisocial. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of questions that the survivor turn experts really couldn't help me understand. And and the one thing was like the cognitive dissonance, you know, why, why am I so addicted to this person? Um, why is this happening? Why am I a target? So something I really learned and, and, and can they change? That's the, mm. that's the question. Can they change? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did this training. I've done two trainings now, this one, and I'm also in coercive control, which is mm-hmm. essentially the identical thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I learned is that 60% of narcissists are actually born with deficiencies in their brain. Mm. So the deficiencies in our brain that allow us to connect our actions to consequences, mm-hmm. that part of their brain is under firing. Mm-hmm. Hence why they can't identify, oh, my behavior affected you. No, they, they can't link the two together. Okay. And if they can't link that together, they're never going to change, right? Because yeah. they can't yeah. they, they can't identify that. And what I've been noticing also a lot of survivors, there's this narrative 
when we talk about the nature theory or um, the nurture theory, right? Right. Nature there, versus nurture. Nature yeah. versus nurture. The nurture yeah. theory. A lot of survivors, including myself, and this is why I stayed. I rationalized his behaviors because he was a child. Um, oh, he was a product of childhood abuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His yeah, mom sure. was an active addiction. His dad yeah. was physically abusive. You know, he yeah. was adopted by his mom. And me, of course, as a therapist, was like, oh, this poor man. He just needs therapy. He needs compassion. Yeah. Um, but in reality, it's both, right? It's this pre, it's predisposed the nature, the um, nature part of him being born with that. And then on top of it, of him being a product of childhood abuse. Now, the reason I'm saying it like this is that because a lot of survivors hold on to this, oh, if they just go to therapy, they can change. Yeah. And it's not true, right? Because could they? Oh, yes, but they they need to want it. And only 5% of them in the entire world have ever been successfully treated. Yeah. Because why would they want to change, right? Right. Yeah. So that is why I'm trying to spread this awareness of it's not just about them going to therapy about their trauma from childhood. No, there's also this genetic predisposition that also makes it so it's pretty impossible for them to change. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense because I know a lot of guests on this podcast have said the best thing is just no contact, get away. There's nothing we can do to help them because they're beyond help. Right. Yeah. So how does one get diagnosed? How does one find out that that is their genetic predisposition? So they can do brain maps now. There's a huge mm-hmm. development in brain maps that actually can show, and it's really cool. Um, it shows the difference between an, uh, a normal brain and someone on the dark triad. Yeah. And so that... <laughs> Hundred percent can tell, but I know obviously a lot of us aren't going to be like, "Go get a brain map," right? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, a therapist can diagnose. But however, <laughs> the difficulties with this population is that they're not the best historians, and what I mean by that is that they do not accurately depict what's going on with their lives. Yeah. So for me, the way that I do it, yes, the narcissist can get diagnosed if they go to a therapist or a psychologist to do a full-on um, psychological test. Yeah. But what I do is with I do with the survivors. It's an assessment that I have. It's a clinically based evidence um, assessment tool to okay. help them identify if they're in a pathological love relationship. Mm-hmm. Because they the the abuser will not answer honestly, but the mm-hmm. partner will be able to identify. Oh, does do do they I, do they make me feel like I can't talk about my feelings? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Do they blame me for everything? And if it's like, check, 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 then I can tell you, hey, I think you're in an abusive relationship with someone with a pathology. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. All right. So, I mean, so that's something, but I mean, so you took this training and you said that a lot of this isn't taught in um, grad school. So, I mean... What can other mental health health professionals do to help educate themselves about this area? Well, I definitely think getting involved in the survivor. It's called survivortreatment.com. Okay. Okay. And even survivors can get on there and there's resources, but that's where I took the treatment for, for mental. I mean, that's where I took the course for mental health professionals. Okay. Um, they really need to start educating themselves on coercive control and inter, inter, um, personal violence. Yeah. 
And one of the huge, one of the biggest things, especially couples counselors, is when when victims and abusers come in. What happens is the victims are so traumatized that they look like they're unstable. They look mm-hmm. like they're a borderline. They look like they have yeah. bipolar. You know, I have clients that come in thinking like I have, I'm schizophrenic, and I'm like, what? No, you're not. Right? You just have trauma. Yeah. Um, but they really need to educate themselves on these trauma symptoms. One, for instance, is basic trauma, we talk about flashbacks. And when we think about flashbacks, we think about negative flashbacks, right? We think about war veterans, they think about, you know, bombing and killing and murdering people. However, the trauma of survivors is atypical in the sense that we also have positive flashbacks, Mm -hmm. which which isn't constituted in the DSM-5 as a form Mm -hmm. of trauma. Mm-hmm. So survivors aren't getting diagnosed with trauma because they're not meeting the typical symptoms of trauma. Mm-hmm. But this is something that's crucial. The us having flashbacks of the love bombing is traumatic for us. Yeah, completely traumatic for us because we're like, who am I? Who do I love? Who do I hate? I'm so confused. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so really educating themselves on atypical trauma symptoms to learn to decipher between that because it can get confusing with borderline personality disorder. And mm-hmm. we're not borderline. Can we no. show up as borderline? Yes, we can because we're traumatized. But to our core, do we have that personality disorder? No. Yeah. So it's really professionals in my field really need to stay up to date on the research. Yeah, definitely. I'm again, I'm so happy that you did these trainings because I think it's so important that survivors go to therapy. Um, I always like to say that on this podcast because I'm not a mental health professional. I'm just a survivor and a journalist who just wants to raise awareness and share people's stories. But if if survivors are not getting the best possible therapy, then, then they're lacking. So anything that we, and I know that cause it's still like, it's still like a relatively new field or, or yes. yeah, it, yes. it, it is because people are still learning about what exactly it is. Yes. Yeah. And I think what they're changing it now, I think that this is something really important. We used yes. to call it domestic violence, right? Uh-huh. And, yeah. And it was being neglected because a lot of us do not have some, a lot of us weren't physically abused. Right, yeah. no physical violence. We weren't exactly, hit, we weren't, and then so so domestic violence didn't fit the bill, and now we're trying to change it to domestic abuse. So ah. domestic abuse. So it's not domestic. Yeah. Violence, it's domestic abuse where it's where physical phys, uh, we're psychologically abused, which adds emotional abuse in there. Yeah. Right? So I think yeah. when we're researching, and there is a whole coalition now as well. If you go Google now instead of DV, let's Google domestic abuse, and it's going to okay. help a lot of survivors with research on finding that out. Um, because you're still a victim, even if you weren't hit. Yes, it is so true. And I'm so glad you brought that up because at the end of every podcast, I always give information about the National Domestic Violence Hotline because it really does seem like the best national organization to point people to, even though I would not be surprised if many victims or survivors are hearing that and they're just like, violence? Well, there's no violence. Mm-hmm. But that still is probably one of the best places to at least start. Yes. yes. Well, because it is a form of, and this is the thing, I, I yeah. say abuse just for survivors, but in our field, this is it's a psychological violence. Yes. Right? It is a violence. It is insidious. It is oh, God, intentional. Yeah. And it is a, I mean, it's like pointing a gun to your brain, right? Yeah. 
It's, yeah. That's exactly what they're doing. And that is, that is violence. Yeah. But a lot of people don't constitute, right? They think violence, they think, they think bruises, they think marks, they think broken bones, but no. Exactly. Violence to our brain are identical. So yeah, the, the DV hotline is definitely a hundred percent a great resource, a, a great resource to start out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, it, it's so true because, um, I had, uh, a guest on my podcast, uh, last week, uh, her episode ran last week. And even when she first reached out to me, she's like, I don't know if it was abuse. And, and just by talking about it, it was. It, it was. It was. Yeah. This was the um she she's been in therapy and but this was the first time that she had publicly shared her story. And so I was so honored to have her. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such yeah. a beautiful thing. It's, that's such a beautiful thing. Cause shame shame breeds in the dark, right? We need really does. Mm-hmm. It really, really, really does. So what do you suggest to survivors who are looking for mental health treatment? What should they look for, especially because not every therapist is going to have this specific kind of training? Absolutely. I mean, I definitely think that they need to look for therapists that work with coercive control is what the clinical okay. term is called. Okay. Um, or pathological love or narcissistic abuse. There are a lot of there, there there are a lot of more a lot more therapists that are getting trained in this or have some sort of experience. So making sure to ask, have you ever worked with an abusive relationship? Mm-hmm. Have you ever worked with, um, you know, a partner that has an abuser as a partner, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if they need to be asking therapists these questions for them to know because they can't just go to a couples therapist. They can't just go to a normal trauma therapist. They need to go to someone. Have they worked with domestic abuse? Yeah. Period. Absolutely. Because you said yourself, you you went to a couples therapist and they weren't supportive of you at all at all at <sighs> all at all and yeah. because I, I, I and ironically it's because I was asking the questions I was like what modalities do you use and, and she took that as you do seem kind of controlling Nina because you asked me these questions so you know maybe your partner has a point and I'm oh like oh my goodness I'm uh, so, so I was gaslit by 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 my by own the therapist, therapist. And in my training we even talk about this too because we get institutionalized trauma right from therapists from the court i mean the post separation abuse luckily i wasn't married but the clients that i work with i mean it is horrendous yeah Hor- i mean i i mean this doesn't have to do with emotional abuse but i'm i'm just going to put my comments out there about how important it is to do your research on therapists. And if you're not comfortable, you can leave because I've had therapists who basically shame me for having a kid and then, you know, was talking about how hard it was to relaunch my career. Um, basically say, yeah, it was a guy, of course. And he's just like, well, didn't you know that that was going to happen? I was just like, okay, we're done. Then there was another one who I kept having to remind her about like basic information about me. The, the, the best was... <laughs> I know I'm totally going off on a tangent here, but um, she would, she would always say like, she would always like, she would like stop. And then she would say, yes. And your husband. And I was like, you don't remember his name, do you? (laughs) I was like, no, I don't think this is working. Yeah. So I, I'm just here to say, if you don't like the first therapist that you do a session with, you can move on. (laughs) 
I think that's so important. Thank you so much for bringing that up. You're so, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah. right. You can interview the therapist just like they interview you. Yes. And you can go in for the initial. And if you're not feeling the vibe, you're, you absolutely can leave and decide to go somewhere else. You're not set in stone. You're not bound by a contract. Yeah. The foundation of any therapy is the therapeutic relationship. If you yes. don't feel safe, if you don't feel heard, there is no therapy. There's no point of going. You're not going to have healing because those are the two principles, feeling safe and feeling heard. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for reiterating that. Yeah. So for uh, I always ask this question uh, to all of my guests. For victims of emotional and narcissistic abuse who haven't taken any steps toward healing yet, what do you recommend that they do as a first step? Mm-hmm. As a first step, something with these relationships, having positive supports is crucial because yes. your abuser wants to isolate you from everybody possible. So first step is, you know, whether that looked like reaching out to your local hotline, whether you actually have supportive family and friends around you is to start developing your little army. Yep of support systems, right, for you to lean on for when the cognitive dissonance comes in that tells you maybe it isn't that bad. They Mm -hmm. can be like, yes, it was, babe. (laughs) It was that bad. (laughs) You can't go back. You're staying. Um, But also people that you feel safe with, because I know a lot of people, and I don't want to say, you know, the treatment is to leave, but I understand there's situations where safety can kind of hold you back. Yeah. So making sure that you have safe, positive support systems. If you have children, making sure that you can get money and stuff to, 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 to be able to support yourself to get out of the relationship. I mean, this is crucial. Safety is crucial. If you don't yeah. feel safe, please alert your, your, you know, your local police. Um, call the local authorities. So I wouldn't want you to take any action if there is no safety involved. Yeah. Um, but reaching out to these support systems and getting information. I mean, the number one for, for treatment of survivors is educating themselves mm-hmm. on abuse. Yeah. Because how do you know you're being abused if you don't even know what abuse looks like? Yeah. You need that awareness and to want to change. Exactly. Um, and to get a therapist. I mean, I am taking on new clients as well. And I do coaching. So I take national clients. Okay. Um, Great. So, I, so yeah, it, it's crucial to have that support system. I... You know, it's it's so true how in so many instances you need someone else to tell you that you're being abused because um, I had no idea what emotional abuse was. So I learned that I was being emotionally abused uh, by my boss um, a little over 10 years ago, and it was by my therapist. She was like, you're being emotionally ab- emotionally abused. And I was like, what's that? I had no idea. And then she would start talking about how he was a narcissist. And I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly what's happening. And since this was 10 years ago, I had zero support, zero support. I've I've discussed it a lot on on this podcast, but um, yeah, like everyone was basically like, oh, I mean, that's just the way he is. You know, you can deal with it. And I was like, no, I can't. No, I can't. And it was pre me too, because even though there was there was no sexual assault, um, anything like that. But I know that now no one would stand for his behavior. No one would. Yes, and I'm so good. You know, I find it fascinating because you're right, with, especially in the work environment, which is so prevalent. It is so, so prevalent. prevalent. 
And people not people just chalk it up to, oh, you know, it's a business. This is how they yeah. run it. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, whatever. Just put your head down. Do it for the paycheck, yeah. right? Yeah. No, no. Absolutely not. And and I was getting that messaging not just from the dudes, but from the women. Um, the women Every, see the thing with the with the women's situation at Rolling Stone was, and I'll send you. Um, I've mentioned on the podcast. I actually participated in an article recently where a lot of um, former female employees at Rolling Stone talked about the environment there, wow. and all the women. Uh, excuse me. Most of the women were in survival mode. There are a couple who have drunk the Kool Aid and they're still there and all that. Most of the women were in survival mode. So even though I didn't appreciate that they weren't supportive of me, in a way, I understand why, because they were just trying to keep their own heads above water and everyone had their own way of dealing with their situations. Like one woman, she kind of leaned into my boss's behavior because she, I'm assuming that she figured, you know what? this is the only way I'm going to survive. I'm going to just lean into how he's acting. Whereas I was like, no, I just put, I just put up a wall and that just made him angrier. And then I just had to leave. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's so hard to say because this was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I knew that I had to get out of there. And then I just went for years, not really talking about it outside of my little nuclear situation. Uh, I was talking about it with therapists. I talked about it with my husband, but still no one really wanted to talk about what happened to me because it was mainly like, oh my God, you voluntarily left a job at Rolling Stone. And I was like, yeah, man. And I have no regrets. (laughs) Yes, I absolutely did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) And I have no regrets. So I can imagine how difficult that must be. Yeah, because especially, you know, the public society puts so much pressure on us. And as females, and we're meant to be just take it, and men are meant to be the strong power leadership, and we're meant to just do what they say. Yeah. No. 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 And and, sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, no. I was just going to say that my boss truly felt that the mad men mentality was okay. So this happens all the time, but circling back to what you said in regards to the trauma response, right? Yeah. How some people, so, so you're absolutely right. And, and back then, I'm 10 years ago, all we knew was fight, flight, freeze in terms yes. of trauma responses. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and one that's now, you know, uh, um, the body keeps the score. Um, mm-hmm. He finally shared with us about the fawning response. The mm-hmm. fawning response is another trauma response, which is the people pleasing, right? That we kind I of think just that- take it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like that's how you're describing your colleague. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that that's what she was doing. I mean, because she would like, he, you know, he didn't um, have any concept of personal space and she was just like, okay, but that she would laugh at everything he said. And I was just like, are you doing? And it was only like years later, after lots of therapy, lots of reflection, I was like, I mean, I don't, I don't talk to her, so I don't know, but I was just like, I'm wondering if that's what that was. It was, it was the the fawning response because my response was um was fight and flight, eventually flight. My 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 response was just pushing back on everything and they don't like that. And oh, he did not like that (laughs) one bit. Oh, oh, he did not like that one bit. It was, um, so yeah, he would like 
write, he would do character assassination in my reviews, even though there was nothing he could say about my work. Oh my! <laughs> a lot yeah. of bad stuff. There's a lot right. of bad stuff. So they, they point out things that are so irrelevant to your actual job, and it's yeah. like. <laughs> and it was for that reason that I never, I never like got in trouble or got fired. What would happen is like his superiors would see that he was writing this stuff and they'd be like, oh, please, this is, you know, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't hold him accountable. Mm. They felt that they're, that everyone, everyone's attitude was, we're not getting involved. We're not getting involved. We're not getting involved. The bystander so, effect. Exactly. The bystander effect. So that's what would happen. Like he would tear me apart in my annual reviews, but I wouldn't get in trouble. I wouldn't get fired because the superiors would be like, well, that's just him being annoying. Let's just ignore that. We can't, you know, we can't fire Serene. She's not doing anything wrong. So, but then it just became too much. And I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I'm very open about it. I had to go on medication and eventually I had to leave because yeah. It was traumatizing. Yeah. It is traumatizing. And you know what? I actually love that you really talk about this. I was doing all this research yesterday, too. You know, they created now a co- um, coercive control coalition on companies. Really? Good. Because what you're talking about is so prevalent. And yeah. It's cult-like, right? It is. It's do as I say do, or, or or GTFO, right? Yes. <laughs> well, he wished he could be a cult leader. Like he was, you know, he was like, he was never going to get that kind of a following. But that was because he was such a narcissist. That was all that he cared about. Like when he would hire people, he hired them more because of how they treated him, not because they were good at their jobs. But what started happening was like, he liked me in the beginning. So he brought me on, but then he saw that I was actually good at my job and I became a threat. Yes. They want somebody they can control. Exactly. And if exactly. you have a brain of your own, you cannot be controlled. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. And yeah, I, I talk about it so openly now because I really wasn't able because nobody was listening for a really long time. And... Yeah. <laughs> and I try, you know, I, I don't want to make this podcast about me because, but no. since so many people are talking about romantic relationships, that's not the only type of emotional abuse that can occur. I mean, a lot of people come on this podcast, they talk about their romantic relationships, but they also talk about workplace, friends, um, parents. I, yeah, girl, I have a I have a plethora of of, of <laughs> examples sure. I could also I have sure experience in my workplace environment as well, similar. Yeah. and it's and I, that's why I got really excited when you brought that up too because okay. you're absolutely right. It's you're right. Romantic partners is the one thing a lot of people talk about. Parents are another thing. Workplace are another thing. And I think with the the when I found this coalition of the um, companies right <laughs> last night, I got so excited because I think a lot of jobs get away with this. I'm sure yeah, they do. They get away with this BS as the mm-hmm. as a work culture that you know they mask it into like oh we're just we work hard and we this is the values and we want everyone to be like this but in actuality if you parallel parallel it it <laughs> is literally like a cult. It's it it really is and it's 
that's one of the many reasons why I actually have no interest in ever working for a company again. It was between my experience at Rolling Stone and also um, once I became a parent and I needed a more flexible work situation. Because it, it's true, the you know the companies who uh, are like, oh, we're a family, De- you know, devote your life, and it's like, no, 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 I can't do that anymore. I cannot do that anymore. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh yeah, we are on yeah. the same boat. I'm in the middle of um, opening up my own practice because I cannot. I mean, I think I, I just want to say this: the biggest red flag is when a company says we are like a family. Yes, if yes. they say that, run. Like there is no yes. tomorrow. Run the so true. Sprint. It's because so true. The family means that I'm okay with talking to you any way that I want to talk to you, however I want to talk to you, and I'm going to mask it in. We're family here. No. We just really care about each other. No. 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 That is no. not. They blur the lines. And they pick and choose when it's appropriate. Oh, it's appropriate when you do it, but God forbid I ask a question, then I'm being defiant, that exactly. I'm causing a problem. And- I, rem- yeah. Yeah, I remember my boss, my boss, so I got married about a, mm, six, seven months after I started at Rolling Stone. And I know my boss was insulted that he wasn't invited to our wedding, but he saw that because I had made a couple of friends in the workplace who, and they, and they were invited and he's like, oh, so I saw that she was there and I'm like, yeah. And your point. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, she was and you weren't. It's very simple. Yeah. Yeah. He probably freaked out. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was really creepy. I was just like. No, we're not. We don't have that kind of a relationship, right? I am, I'm under no obligation to have you there. No, no, no. Why would you? I had exactly. a boss one time cry because she wanted to be my motherly figure, and I'm like, "You treat me like crap." <sighs> the same thing as you. She never ever gave me critique on my actual job performance. It was you left a diet coke in your office. You act like a child. <sighs> No. I was like, first of all, I never left a Diet Coke in my office, okay? I just want to say that. Second yeah. of all, really a Diet Coke can means I act like a child. I act like a child. And and I'm like, if a client is complaining, by all means, fine. Of course, I'm going to sit down. But no, clients were asking to switch over to me as their therapist. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, she, and that was pissing her off. That was pissing her off because she's like, you're really good. People are liking you. So let me try to take you down a few notches and let yes. me do things like that. Like one time she yelled at me for not wearing makeup. Oh, no. Make up. Make up. It doesn't. I am a therapist and I'm trying to teach my clients body positivity. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if I wear makeup, if my clients don't wear makeup. We're meant to love ourselves however we look. Exactly. And and you're going to sit here and tell me that I'm unprofessional because I don't wear makeup? Like, that is absurd as a mental health professional. I'm sorry. That is absurd. As any professional. Like, Absolutely. Trying to judge what I'm wearing. But I felt really bad about myself. I'm like, why yeah. am I unprofessional? Should I have worn makeup? Does that look like I'm unprofessional? I started to question myself. Yes. Yeah. I always tell, I always tell the story on the podcast. My boss called me cocky because yeah. he was threatened by my confidence. And I realized, I, and then I started questioning myself. It killed my self-esteem for years. Killed. Killed, killed it. Because we're compassionate, self-reflecting people. Yeah. We 
take this feedback and we're, we, th- we're, we don't, we're not closed minded like they are. Right. We'll take it and we'll, we'll think and we'll reflect and be like, are they right? Are they not? Because that's what a healthy human does yeah. when we're trying to have a relationship, but it ends up backfiring because no, they're gaslighting us. And we start believing this false narrative. Yeah. And it crushes your self-esteem. I mean, I yeah. started to question my ability to be a therapist all because Ugh. I didn't wear makeup one day Ugh. to work. I mean, I'm, if my uh, ability as a therapist is based on my looks, I mean, sh- <laughs> it's just not even a thing, right? It uh, it does not matter. It, it, None it, of that it, matters. It's, it's infuriating. I know, it is I know. infuriating. But we need to talk about all of this because it's so true about these types of workplace environments and how they do negatively affect us. And they keep you stuck there, right? I've had friends, yeah. even me, where I've stayed in places way longer than I should have because the narrative is you're never going to find someone that's going to pay you like we do. Mm-hmm. You're never going to find a place that has the flexibility like we do. Yeah. People would, d- I got called ungrateful because I was unhappy mm-hmm. because of the makeup comment. <laughs> oh, Nina, people would kill to work here. You're so ungrateful. I'm sorry. Uh, no. What? What? No. But it instills a level of fear, especially when your economic status, it, when yeah. you're trying to grow, right? Money, money scares us. We need money to survive. And I think yeah. that's also the big carrot that they can dangle. And it's a valid fear. You're right. If I don't have this paycheck, I can't pay my bills. I can't live. Exactly. That is exactly what happened to me. I was at Rolling Stone for seven years and yeah. I didn't need to be. And I did not need to be. Um, and it is true because I was looking for other jobs. And in a lot of cases, they're like, we can't pay you what we're be- what you're being paid right now. I, yeah, I ultimately had to just leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have anything lined up. I had like a few freelance gigs, but it was still the greatest decision I've ever made because- well, What was that like for you? Like, what was that fear of like, how did you decide to leave? So, well, oh, okay. I will totally tell this story again. <laughs> yeah, because we're here and we're doing yeah. it. Um, so, uh, we had a huge blow up at work. It was very, very, very late at night. I was working on a uh, a cover story and I, well, okay, let me, actually, let me backtrack. First, um, so this was August, 2014. Um, Robin Williams died. We now know he died by suicide. And that affected me really, really strongly. And then uh, like a week or two later, we were closing the cover story on him. And my boss, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And my boss like saw that I had, you know, made an executive decision about something and I, you know remember. so I'm trying to finish the job and he immediately came over and started like berating me for what I was doing and it was it was completely pointless and it was slowing me down and it was just cuz he wanted control so I finally turned to him and I screamed at him I said I heard you let it go let it go now and I just kept going and he's like you're in serious trouble and I was like Ooh, like I'm like I mean I didn't say this, but I want to be like, ooh, you're gonna send me to my room, dad. You know, right. that's what it felt like. It was awful. Send me to the principal's office. Right, yeah. send me to the principal's yeah. office. And like I it was like for the first time I had truly stood up to him. And I finished, you know, I finished everything, you know, I, I finished closing the article. And that was when 
a, a female colleague, because uh, I tried to like go to her for support and she's like, I'm not getting involved. And I was like, okay, well, you're useless. useless. Uh, <laughs> you're useless. All right. Goodbye. And so, yeah, so I closed, I closed the, the article. Um, he, he left and he comes over and he's like, well, that was unfortunate. And he was like standing there. He was waiting for an apology. And I did not give it to him. I did not give it to him. And then I, um, yeah, then I went home and I started, I was just like, okay, I, I, I don't need this anymore. Something, something really clicked in me. I was like, all right, I think it's time to really start planning my escape, so to speak. So I knew that this guy was going to want to try to have like a a private conversation with me to discuss what happened. And that was another reason that I couldn't go, uh, I couldn't stay there anymore. Cause he loved to have these private conferences with me that were just character assassinations. And it was, it was, it was a control thing and it was very uncomfortable and I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I figured I would spend the next few weeks or whatever trying to line up freelance assignments, preparing, writing a resignation letter, um, and just basically waiting for the right moment, basically trying to get as many paychecks I could, <laughs> you know, while I was still there. Um, and then you. when he then when he inevitably <laughs> said that he wanted to have a conversation with me, um, that was when I resigned. I love that. And he he was completely taken aback. He was like, "Where did this come from?" I was like, "This this really shouldn't come as a surprise to you." It oh, really that's should. my favorite. They don't. Yeah. That. They're like, wow, I'm so confused. I'm so right, confused. Right, right. That's exactly uh, what happened. What, what? What do you mean you're confused? What yeah. do you mean you're confused? <laughs> like, I was like, wow. Countless conversations about this. The gaslighting continues. It's like <laughs> exactly. Like, are we in the same world, babe? Exactly. We, He's still. It's a, that is exactly what happened, and he was so so confused by this, and I was like, it's time. I'm leaving. And I, you know, he was trying, he, I, I, he was trying to get me to reconsider. And I was like, no, this is happening. Absolutely I'm, not. I'm leaving. Absolutely and then uh, like, I think it was like a week before I left, he tried to have another private conversation with me again. And then I said, I finally said to his face, I said, no, this is one of the reasons why I'm leaving because I'm not comfortable having these kinds of conversations with you. If you want to have a conversation with me, we can do it right here in front of everybody. Yes. We're not going to a separate room. We're not doing anything. He yeah. was so insulted that that was it. He never spoke to me again. And then on my last day, the man who would come to work sick, because he, of course, believed that the office couldn't function without him, called out sick because he was a coward. I mean, it's <laughs> not a laugh. Because it's- I laugh now. I laugh now. Yeah, now, and- now, yeah. Everyone saw how happy I was after I left. My career flourished after I left. Um, yeah, it was it was the best decision I made. I'm best so, career decision I made. And, yeah. I, and I think it's so important to talk about that because the yeah. level of fear that paralyzes us. I yes, mean, I've experienced that with the job, with the relationship, whatever. Like I literally feel like I'm being shackled with fear. Cause I'm like, I can't leave. I can't leave. I can't mm-hmm. leave. I'm not going to find anything better. And I think exactly. hearing somebody like hearing your situation and, and hearing that it's the best decision you ever made, regardless of that is so yeah. crucial for other victims to really understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is, no, there is doesn't feel like it. There is, there is a way out. Yes, absolutely. Because I mean, 
I rediscovered happiness after leaving. And yeah, I I still talk about the positives at Rolling Stone because there were, there were. Um, you know, I always like to share that I have met Taylor Swift. Thanks to that. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> She's all over her Travis Kelsey. Love it. <laughs> yes. This was when she was very young. This was a long time ago yeah. that I, I met her at the very beginning of her career. But wow. we had a nice little conversation. Ironically, it was because my boss wanted me to get her autograph for his niece. Interesting. Well, at least at least you got to talk to her. <laughs> got to talk to her, and she was very nice, and it was wonderful. So I always get to oh, share that story. So yeah, so that is in a nutshell my emotional abuse story, um, which I've shared many many times on this podcast. But I don't really get tired of sharing it because I think it's really important. It is really important. It yeah. is really important. And that's why you know I have a social, I have my TikTok, my Instagram. I I, I retell my story as well because good. We need to keep saying it and it inspires other survivors to start speaking up. And it also, honestly, I started in the beginning when I started watching videos or even listening to podcasts, it made me feel so validated mm-hmm. hearing other people. I'm like, I'm not crazy. I'm yeah. not psychotic or delusional or anything else in the playbook that they try to throw at me, right? Ungrateful. Yep. No, this is really happening to me and I'm having yes. an appropriate reaction to being mistreated. I'm yes. not sensitive. Mm-hmm. I'm not dramatic. Oh. I'm not, you know, right? I have such a reaction to the word sensitive, right? Me and too. I, I'm like, fuck you. Sorry. No, no, no. Please, yeah. please, please. I'm it's like, fine. It's fuck fine. Fuck you. I'm not, yes. fucking, I'm not sensitive. You are an asshole. Yes. You are an asshole and I'm having an appropriate reaction to you being an asshole. So do not try to like minimize and say that I'm being sensitive and also to try to paint sensitivity as a bad thing. I'm sorry that I have human emotions. I'm not apologizing for that, period. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What always comes back to me is, and again, this was advice from a woman at Rolling Stone. I kept being told, you've got to develop a thick skin. Uh, no. Listen. No. Uh-uh. 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 What no. the fuck does that even mean? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I was just like, I, I can't. I think there's something wrong with how I'm being treated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah. just going to tolerate it because you think that I should. I'm speaking out for my own rights. I'm being mistreated. I'm being abused. Exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of your TikTok and your Instagram, as a way to wrap things up here, I would love if you could please share how listeners can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So my handle for both my TikTok and my Instagram is mm-hmm. just Nina B Counseling, and I N A B Counseling. Um, and my Facebook is Nina Batista. It's B A T I S T A L C S W. Okay, no um, problem. I'll li- I'll leave links in the show notes. Amazing. Yeah, and they can reach out to me if they want to set up. I'm actually in the works of creating an online workshop as well. Wonderful. Um, like a membership for survivors to have a safe space to have access to me as a clinician and do online demand online workshops. So wonderful. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Nina, I just want to thank you for all of the work that you're doing. It it is so 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 important. The fact that you're helping the mental health industry to evolve when it comes to emotional and narcissistic abuse. I mean, that's really the next step here. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep talking about your story. 
I'm going to go um, follow you on both Instagram and TikTok right now. <laughs> and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you as well. This has been an incredible experience. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so My much pleasure. fun talking to you about this. And yes. please, I'm going to follow you back. I look forward to potentially doing this again. And let's stay in contact. I love this. I love it too. We <laughs> totally will. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Nina Batista on Emotional Abuse is Real. If you would like to connect with Nina, I've left her social media links in the show notes. If you would like to share your emotional abuse story here on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out via email at hello at sereneleadsrights.com or through Instagram at sereneleadsrights. Please note that this podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional mental health services. If you are a victim of emotional abuse and need help, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988 or call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. Once again, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram. Go grab my free download, 10 Things I Learned from Getting Paid to Watch TV. And if you can, please support us through our Buy Me a Coffee page. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.